Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. of the spirit and the unction of the word to just find us where we are minister to us where we are and uh, I'm thankful for that but I'm also thankful for the function of the word because uh, the, uh, the scripture says that the Lord is not the author of confusion and so everything that we find about the kingdom of God for the lack of a better word is very scripted God has a plan and uh, and so this evening we don't want to uh, just come without a plan. We want the Spirit of the Lord to speak something in our heart. We call our Wednesday night services light for living. We don't just do that to have something to name it or something to advertise it by. But we try to be very purposeful in what we talk about on Wednesday night. And uh, it's one thing to shout about this, and it's quite another thing to live this. And so I feel like that Wednesday nights is our time to come and gather around the fire, so to speak, and warm our hearts around the central truth of God's Word that teaches us what we should be. We just closed a couple of weeks ago a series on the fruit of the Spirit about different aspects of things that should be manifest in our lives. And if they are not, we need to be working to that end. And uh, this evening, I want to begin a new series that deals with some content from one of the most famous sermons that Jesus Christ himself in his earthly ministry ever preached. It is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is the longest portion of recorded teaching from Jesus in the New Testament, of course. It is the most common and the most widely quoted passage of Scripture, certainly in all the Gospels. It includes some of the best-known teachings of the Lord, such as the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer and such like. The Sermon on the Mount contains, I feel, maybe the, the, the central tenets of, of the faith of a Christian. Here we find some things that can hold us and ground us and keep us. The Lord's Prayer is not, and that's not my topic this evening, but for example, the Lord's Prayer is not something to just commit to memory to just recite as a prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is a very principled prayer. And so I'm thankful for our Father who art in heaven. There's a lot of things that are just given to us as promises in that one verse. The word our makes me know that I'm not alone, that I'm in a company of people. Our Father, I'm thankful that I have a heavenly Father. Amen, who art in heaven. I'm thankful that there is a heaven. I wanna make heaven my home. Not because of streets of gold and gates of pearl, I can't even comprehend that, but to be at peace for all eternity with the Lord. And so there's a principle that is set forth. And in this Sermon on the Mount, among this, we find a passage of scripture in the very beginning, beginning with verse number three, something that we call the Beatitudes. And this evening, that's what I wanna teach on. 
And so if you will join me in the book of Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to begin reading verses 1 through 3. Matthew 5, 1 through 3. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And, he, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Verse number 2 says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This discourse, of course, the sermon, a part of the Sermon on the Mount, takes place on a hillside somewhere near Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee. And so for us to enter into this study, I would like to try to paint, if I may, for just a moment, just a picture in your mind of Jesus and his disciples. In this case, not just the 12 disciples that we often refer to, but a multitude of followers. The word disciple certainly in this particular instance means student or learner. And so those that are coming to learn, those that are gathering to be taught. So one of the first things that we notice about this passage of scripture is the fact that he seats himself. That's what the scripture says. This is a common method of teaching in those days that he would sit down and his disciples or his students or his learners would gather around and then in verse number two, the Bible says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. I thought that was an interesting phrase. He opened his mouth and he taught them. Amen. it almost would seem unnecessary to say that, that he opened it. How else would you say something if you didn't open your mouth? He opened his mouth and taught them. But the term or the phrase open his mouth in Hebrew is intentional. That means not by chance. We're going to speak about something very specific. I'm not just talking to be talking. I'm not just trying to waste your time. And so when the scripture says he opened his mouth, it would be as though he cleared his throat and said, hear ye, hear ye. I want you to hear this. I want you to get this. I'm going to tell you something that is going to be imperative to your Christian experience and your walk with God. There's a purpose that is set in mind for the words that he would speak. And uh, I, uh, I'm very serious about preaching and teaching. And I hope that comes across. I know that sometimes we use a little humor and that's nothing wrong with that. But I'm very serious about the core of preaching and speaking. I think that, that every time we come to church, we should certainly know what we're doing, where we're going, what we're, we've got a plan here. <laughs> And so uh, I know there are times that God moves in different ways and certainly also always want to be uh, sensitive to that. But I also believe that God honors those that would prepare themselves. And so our Sunday school teachers would never want to just show up at 5 till 10 on Sunday morning and just try to hope everything comes out all right. And uh, I would think that the chances of everything coming out all right are, are very, very slim much slimmer than those would be than they would be if someone was taking their time to prepare, to study, to pray, and to put something together. <clears throat> and so I want to be very serious about coming, our times coming together, and uh, whether it's in a more uh, relaxed and quiet atmosphere like this evening or whether we feel like we were Sunday morning, just kind of a power of electricity running through here. I still want there to be a sobriety to that. I want there to be purpose to our words. And so it's therefore fitting that the Sermon on the Mount begins with this word blessed or blessed. 
in pronouncing the type of individual that is blessed, the Lord is describing the character that a person must have or should have. And so if we think about this particular setting, it would, I think because you're dealing with humanity, there would be many similarities as to today. Some of those that were present had already committed to being a follower of him and they were already considered to be a disciple. They were followers of the Lord. While others perhaps in that audience were in the process of that commitment. They were just somewhere along the way. And I think in the heart or at the core of every healthy church, we ought to be able to find those two demographics. We certainly need that core that's already committed. But I think that it's always a good thing if there's people that are on their way. Amen. I'm not talking about people that are caught in the doldrums somewhere 10 years later or 10 years down the road, but I'm talking about people that are along the way. And so this lesson, I think, applies to either or or both, those that are already committed and those who are coming alongside. There's an encouragement to a new disciple to hear the great blessings that are in, in store for serving the Lord. But it's also a great reminder to those who have already been discipled, those who have already signed up and committed to be reminded of those same blessings. And so tonight, I would say that would be true for us today. No matter how many times we've heard something preached, aren't you thankful for those nuggets that just somehow get unearthed? Someone could say, we turn to John three sixteen, and we could say, oh my Lord, what, could, what more could we get out of this particular passage of Scripture? But... We see that fresh anointing that touches that, that seasoned word and something just is born in our heart. And so I'm thankful for those blessings. I remember uh, some time back, uh, maybe sometime last year, I think it was around a prayer conference time that Brother Tess Stewart was with us. And uh, as he began to preach a message entitled, This Is That, certainly you would remember that particular message. In his opening comments, he said, I want you to know that if you already know this, I want to I want to just underline this in your mind. If you've already heard this taught and preached, I just want to stand and confirm this word. But if you've never heard it, I want to share something with you today. And that seems to be the approach that Jesus has in this same passage of Scripture. And so this evening, no matter what we hear, we're all going to be blessed. It's going to draw all of us just a little bit closer. The word blessed actually doesn't refer to the disciples as being recipients of blessings from God or man, but it really means more to have the spirit of happiness or the spirit of contentment. Maybe that would be a better word. The Bible says in 1 Kings 10 and 8, when the queen of Sheba came into Solomon's presence to the temple to see the going-ons of that particular, uh, that day and that event, the queen of Sheba, who I think it's fair to say had been exposed to a side of life that perhaps none of us have ever been exposed to. She had been sipping on the other side of the cup, so to speak. But even a lady of her caliber said this, Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which, can, which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. The queen of Sheba talked about her being taken by the posture and the attitude and the spirit of those in the house of Solomon that was there to serve that contentment, that happiness. And so if we think about the word servant, <clears throat> if we think about being called on to serve, that seems like a lowly thing. That kind of seems like the bottom rung on the ladder, so to speak. But the Queen of Sheba said there's something in the heart 
of these people that are serving. They're, they're happy, they're content. The psalmist in 84 and 5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them. John records, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. And so I don't think happy is used as in giddy, but happy as in content. From these scriptures, we see that this type of of blessing is not a tangible gift to be received, but it is something in our heart to be achieved. Amen, it's something to reach for, to strive for. And then once we achieve that, then we must maintain that. I've got to tend to that. I've got to make sure I want to cultivate that. And so by beginning with the word bless, he's actually saying happy is the one who does all of these things. And we will talk about that in the upcoming weeks. They're happy because they have developed their character in such a way that external circumstances do not necessarily affect them. Jesus was trying to teach them that a true disciple learns to be happy regardless, regardless of the promise, the promised future blessings. We're not talking about, as I mentioned a moment ago, streets of gold and gates of pearl and, and things of that nature. Amen. But until we get there, I want the Lord to be able to put something in my heart here. Amen. I want this in my heart today. I believe that I can be content here. The apostle Paul said it well in Philippians 4 and 11. Paul, who was a man well qualified to make this statement, he said, not that I speak of in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Certainly not everything was okay in the life of Paul But happiness for Paul was not dependent upon his circumstances or contentment. Peace was not contingent upon what he may have been facing at that particular juncture of life. So that's what allowed him to conclude his life by the words that we have heard, read. We've we've listened to this many, many times. Many of you could probably, if not quote it, you could partially quote 2 Timothy 4 and, and 5 through 8. He said to Timothy, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And then Paul says this for himself. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. This sounds like Paul is on an ego trip patting himself on the back ridiculously but if you know the apostle Paul you know nothing could be further from the truth here was a man who had been through so many things in life and 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 the scripture lists many of those things he said i fought a good fight i have finished my course i have kept the faith Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them that also love his appearing. And so with the help of the Lord we can also come to the end of our life, to the end of our journey professing this same testimony. I know it seems a little bit morbid in the minds of some to even think about the end of the journey or the end of our life but, but in truth we're all headed to the end. We all have an appointment That's what the scripture says. It's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. And so knowing that there is an appointment, I want my attitude not to just be okay when everything is okay. But I want somewhere underneath all of that uncertainty, I want there to be a hand of God that holds me sure and that holds me true. 
I don't know how many may have seen this post just a few days ago. Maybe, maybe it was Monday. I, I'm thinking, or uh, Sunday or Monday. But uh, Brother James Varnum, a dear friend of ours, had a brother-in-law apparently in California who passed away, and there was a picture somebody had taken. Brother Varnum was holding his brother-in-law's hand. His brother-in-law must have been a rather large man because Brother Varnum's hand just seemingly was lost in this man's hand. I don't say that just to be sound or to be or to even sound disrespectful, but Brother Varnum made a comment about the size of this man's hand. And then he said, but a hand much larger than this just reached out and brought him home or something of that nature. So I'm I'm thankful for that hand of God that holds me still, that is large enough to take care of my circumstance, my, my particular situation. He knows where we are. I don't want to sound cavalier or catty when I say this, but if I could use a modern phrase, or, or at least I think it's still modern. <laughs> I get reminded sometimes from our young people that I'm not quite with it as, th- as much as I may think I am. But God's got this. He has this. And so that's not just something to toss out there to, to, to sound, to sound cool or in or whatever it may be, but God really does have this. And so his hand is holding this situation and this circumstance. So I can be happy. I can be blessed. I can be blessed even in the midst of this circumstance. And so Paul said, this is how I faced my end. And so I say tonight, with the help of the Lord, we can come to the end professing that same testimony that God has been good to me. He has kept me, but I've also kept the faith. I have also finished my course. I've also done everything within my power. And so Paul is saying that he was happy in whatever state he was in. Matthew 5 and 3 said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Many times in the Old Testament, the, Lord, the Lord's people are referred to as poor. Now, I'm going to get off in here for just a few moments and a little bit of some scrunchy pieces of real estate, and people don't like you to talk about being poor. Amen. I told you, it just gets quiet when you start talking about there. There's just certain phrases that just people just don't even know how to respond. But God's people are often referred to as poor. I don't think you have to be poor to be godly so you can just relax. I'm not, not going to ask you to sell all of your goods before you leave here this evening. <clears throat> but it's true. Psalms 40 and 17 said, But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. 68 and 10 says, Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. In 132 and 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Trust me, there are many, many other poor scriptures, but I just left them at the house. Because I felt like three was probably enough. (laughs) Lest you break out and start crying. This first beatitude really, really sort of sums up, really, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came preaching a gospel that spoke about mankind being dependent upon him, just relaxing and letting him take care of us. I don't know how many here have ever been 
to a chiropractor and uh, if you've ever been to a chiropractor and you've needed your neck to be popped and they just say, let me have it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let me have it. I got it. And as much as you think you're relaxing, they're saying, they're not just talking when they say, let me have it. The reason they keep saying, let me have it is because you haven't let them have it. And as much as you think you're relaxing, it's just hard to relax when somebody you know is fixing to wring your neck. Right? Right? He's like, how many times can you do this in one lifetime and everything be okay? And so let me have it. Let me have it. And so Jesus came preaching a message, a gospel that said, I want mankind to be dependent upon me. And these are words I realize tonight that fly in our face. We're talking about poor. We're talking about being dependent upon God. We're talking about God's got this. We're talking about releasing the reins and letting go. And it's very difficult for us because we seem to be fixers in our heart. We got this. We'll take care of this. We're going to fix. We'll figure out somehow what can we do. And then somewhere way at the end of the day, down at the bottom of the list, we think maybe we ought to pray about this. Maybe we ought to put this in the hand of God after we have exhausted all of our means and all of our measures. We have grown accustomed and we still are accustomed to self-sufficiency. We have this. We have this. And so this term, this sermon kind of tears at the core of these central beliefs and uh, it tears at the notion that man can be happy and not rely on God. And so by saying blessed are the poor or blessed are the poor, he is saying there is happiness in not, in, there is, there is happiness in, in not having or it is not in the possessing of things that we find real contentment or happiness. Now, the, the only time that I have ever been out of the country was when I joined our, our men on a trip to Guatemala in 2008. And I think the men who are here tonight, represented here, and certainly those that are not even represented that are not here tonight, would agree that, that there is a measurable, or at least there was, and, and many of us talked about it, a measurable feeling of contentment among many of those people. Now, by our standards... By our standards, they had nothing. And I don't mean that disparagingly, but they had nothing. By our standards, they had nothing. Yet in so many ways, they possessed so much that we lack. There was a spirit of contentment, just peace. There was something there. Amen. And, and it was, you could feel that and you could sense that. And so they were dependent upon a much higher power than just, I got this, or we'll go down to the bank and we'll just borrow it. If we don't have it, we'll borrow the money. There's no such thing as that. There's a, a dependency upon a creator because there is nothing outside of them themselves, nothing beyond the front porch, so to speak, to take care of anything. And so the, the word poor refers and, and relates to a beggar or a pauper. And it is commonly referred to an individual who has little or perhaps no economic means of support. Perhaps it speaks about someone who is deprived or someone who is unfortunate or maybe another word to use here is someone that is underprivileged. Amen. The people had their needs met of life basically in this particular setting that, that Jesus is teaching in. That's where we need to stay. These people had their, their basic needs in life met by one of two ways generally. Of course, the first would be by working and earning their wage. And secondly, 
If they were too unfortunate not to be able to do that, like if they were lame, we find the lame man laying at the gate beautiful begging alms. And so if you couldn't find your, your way through life by working, then your only other resource was to beg. And so we gotta understand that in this case, the Lord was really not referring to the needs of life. He is really just trying to use an illustration that can center his audience's mind. I think it's always important to preach to your audience. It's always important to consider who you're talking to when you're speaking to them. And so certainly at the heart of Jesus and at the heart of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus understands his audience, right? And so you gotta make sure that you understand your audience. So Jesus, understanding his audience and understanding the times, he, he went right for the core of an illustration that would prick their heart and certainly garner their attention and their understanding. Using the word poor would immediately paint a, a word picture in the mind of his hearer. They would think of those that are barely squeaking out some meager existence, whether that was by wage or by begging. And so Jesus knew that if he could get them to relate to something naturally, then now he can drive home a spiritual point, which is nothing less than what our good brother Jason Campbell did Sunday morning with a blizzard illustration from Dairy Queen. How many's had a blizzard since Sunday? <laughs> what, an, what an incredible illustration. And so Jesus, brother Campbell, just used a common illustration to drive home a spiritual principle that I, for one, but I'm not alone in this, will probably remember the rest of my life. I will probably never look at a blizzard the same way ever again. And so Jesus is doing nothing less than the very same thing. When he used the word poor, it was just like Brother Campbell saying blizzard. Well, we're in Florida. We have one thing we think about blizzards. Now, if you were in Canada and you were talking about blizzards, there might be a little bit of a conflict on the screen of what you're talking about. But we certainly knew what he was talking about. And so he knew that if I can use a natural illustration, I can drive home a spiritual point. And so in no way should we think that he was strictly referring to just being financially poor or lacking external things. By no means, he was using an illustration. And he qualifies this, and that's the reason I underline this. He qualifies this by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, poor in spirit. And so when Jesus refers to being poor in spirit, he's saying that there's a great happiness in an individual who is devoid of chasing after the things of this life to just give themselves wholly and, and, and 100% to the kingdom of God. And so in order to put this in perspective, we have to realize the original condition of the human spirit. And in order to do that, I want to go back to the book of Genesis. And I just thought Brother Rayleigh would be real proud if we went back to the book of Genesis and, and uh, certainly if Brother Corin can hear this message, if we can get him a CD, I would just like him to know that we went to Genesis tonight. <laughs> and so here's what we find in the book of Genesis. God breathed into man. You remember this passage? God breathed into man. And then the scripture says, and he became a living soul. God breathed and he became a living soul. Or in other words, God breathed and his spirit, the spirit of man began to live. Now that's a very significant statement because from that point forward, man has had the power of choice. 
choice as to what he will allow to influence his spirit. God breathed into man and man, the spirit of man came alive. And with that came choice. And through the, through the process of time, sadly, man, mankind has vexed his own soul. This happened as a result of just allowing one thing after the other to enter in and one thing after the other to take precedence and preeminence in our life over the spirit of God and the word of God. And the end result is, of that is that we deceive ourselves into thinking that happiness comes from material things or from external things. That if we can just get enough of this, you fill in the blank because that blank would be different for everyone. If we could just get enough of this, then that would certainly bring happiness. And many people think, to them, think of themselves to, as self-sufficient and, uh, and maybe perhaps that that's what God is speaking of. But God wants us to realize as he already realizes that we are indeed poor and spirit and we are nothing without him. And the spirit is that part of us that craves satisfaction, that craves contentment, that craves happiness. But what's also in view here is the means by which we obtain true satisfaction and true happiness. So when we come to the realization that we to that, then we, we tap into the spirit of real contentment that real happiness. Consider these admonitions, if you will, from the book of Proverbs concerning the spirit and notice how they deal with happiness or the lack thereof in spirit. Proverbs 15 and 13 says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Proverbs 16 and 19, the scripture says, better is it to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. And so the disposition that the Lord is looking for us or looking for in us is the spirit that is poor before him. And so we realize that, that any happiness of spirit or any contentment of spirit that we may possess comes from God and not from what we have. Amen. So if I could just say it that way, if there's any contentment that we have, that contentment is born of God and not from the brand of coat that I'm wearing or the brand of shoes that I'm wearing, a car that I drive or, or the neighborhood that I live in, on and on and on. Those are not the things that bring contentment because all of those things are fragile and they can go away in a moment's time. And I've often said, if they don't go away, in a moment's time, they can, but if they don't go away in a moment's time, if you think that's too hard to comprehend, trust me when I tell you this, the significance of those things can all disappear in a moment. Because if a doctor said to you today, you have 24 hours to live, it wouldn't matter to you. It would, nothing would matter to you. Nothing would have significance. Everything that 24 hours ago meant everything would all of a sudden be dust in your hands. It would, it would mean absolute, absolutely nothing. I've read many uh, little articles on, uh, and I, I don't want to meander here and, and take too much time, but I've, I've read several little, little snippets, little articles about uh, Steve Jobs, the, the founder of Apple, a man who was uh, wealthy beyond measure. But at the end of his life, when death was imminent, there were times when he got very honest with close, close friends and associates and in essence said, this matters nothing. 
What difference does it make? What difference does it make where your name is recorded or who knows you or what, what, or what events you've been the speaker at? Or, none of this matters. None of this matters where your name is going to be listed in history because I'm about to leave my wife and my children. I'm about to leave everything that I've worked so hard for. And he is just one of countless men and women who have reached that same juncture in life. And so it's not the things that we possess that make us, but as long as we're aware that it is the Spirit of God, it's only His Spirit that can enrich our soul, then we can continue to be poor in spirit and not pursue happiness of spirit by just things that can fade, things that you can touch today and be worth so very, very much. And then in, in, in just a little while or just in this very small amount of time can be worth nothing. Many people pursue a false sense of happiness by striving for material things. And, and we do so because that's what our culture teaches us, that if you do this, <laughs> if you wear this, if you drive that, if you live here, if you do on and on and on, then th- these are measures of success. They're status symbols. And, and uh, you know, I, I re- remember several years ago, uh, the, the CPA we have here at our church came and, and did a financial seminar. This was quite a few years ago. And one of the things that he mentioned that I remembered among, among many things in that seminar was this, that he gave the percentage at that particular time, he gave the percentage of BMW drivers who had simply leased these cars. Some of you may remember that. The, 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 the percentage was staggering. And so here are these people that have trappings of success. And we sit at a red light next to them if you happen to have an, you know, an affection for BMWs. If you look over there and you think, what am I doing wrong? Oh, you got way too quiet on me right there. Like you've never thought these things. You know? Like what in the world's going on? And it's all, a, it's a house of cards. It's an air castle. It doesn't exist. It's not real. And these trappings of success. But you see, the, the success that God wants us to have is something in our heart. I don't think God cares what we drive, to be very honest with you, what we wear, where we live, as long as we put him first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you know what? If you'll take God with you, he'll let you go as high as you can go. I would that you would be in good health and prosper. That's what the scripture says. But that's not all it says. Even as your soul prospereth. And so as you go, take God with you. And if you take God with you, amen, God wants to anoint you and bless you and give things to us. But we must take God with us. And if we take God with us, no matter where we find ourselves in that stratosphere socially, we will have God with us and we will be that man poor in spirit, poor in spirit. And so the Lord pronounces this blessing on those who are, who are poor in spirit. He does so when he states theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so throughout the beatitude, Jesus gives the promise of a future blessing to those who have already discovered this present inner truth. And so it doesn't matter about what the future holds if we don't have something to keep us now. Amen. And so the Lord is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice the images he once again uses. He's already painted a picture of being poor. Now he declares that those who are poor in spirit are gonna receive the kingdom of heaven. Amen, streets of the kingdom of heaven. What is that? Streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper, thrones, mansions, the list goes on and on and on and on. 
so it's not about things. But it, so it's not necessarily what he's referring to as we may think, but while these are certainly future promises of the kingdom of heaven, it's in the Bible, and so if it's there, that's our hope. Amen, there's also a very real present aspect to this as well. The word kingdom means the rule and the realm. The rule and the realm. And that is to say that every aspect of the kingdom belongs to them. Belongs to them. And so I'm thankful for the central truth of God's word. I'm thankful for the gospel. Amen? I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful to know about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to know those fundamental things, that those promises of God that are planted truly in my heart. And so when we know that, without a doubt, the spirit that is surrendered to the gospel truly knows full happiness that is an end result of that gospel. Can I tell you tonight, and I'm just gonna be very frank with you, you've never lived until you've been born again of the water and of the spirit spirit. And you may, you may want to cross swords with me about that and you may want to say, well, let me tell you something. You don't know about me. You don't know where I've been and you don't know. I, I can just tell you this. None of those things matter. But until you have repented of your sins and felt the weight of all of that sin lift from your heart and been, warped, and been water baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of those sins. No other name under heaven given among men. Amen. That greatest name that has power and authority over sin in our lives and then been filled with that spirit not his word written in a word, in a book or on stone but his word written in our heart not a God that is hidden behind the veil that visits man once a year and only one priest can go in and represent us no but a veil torn in two and a God that can enter in amen I'm coming back again but until I'm sending a comforter which is the Holy Ghost that shall be in you I'm glad of that death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That gives me contentment. Amen. Someone Saturday at the wedding who was a guest here, when I was shaking their hand, they said, this is the happiest group of people I've ever met. I said, thank you. Thank you. I don't think they meant giddy. I'm being very honest with you. I don't think they were measuring that by smiles and handshakes and hugs. I think there was something deeper, a contentment, a peace, an assurance. Amen. Aren't you thankful that you know that? What a great happiness there is in life. Amen. What greater happiness is there? What possible greater happiness than to know that we have been identified with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in closing, perhaps our musicians can come and we'll end with a song. If you're going to live a truly blessed and happy life, then it must begin with an inventory of our spirit. There must be a realization that the soul longs for satisfaction of the happiness, the soul of man. Can I ask you a question? Not a question to answer out loud, but a question to answer yourself Does your soul ever desire to pray? Does your soul ever desire to just dine on the word of God? Our soul. Sometimes our soul craves and longs for that nourishment. We should never deprive the spirit man from those seasons because God's word can feed us. 
Amen, and sustain us. Additionally, there must be a realization that the satisfaction and the happiness that the soul longs for does not come from external things or material things. And so with all this said, with all of this said, what does blessed are the poor in spirit mean? What does this mean? Blessed is the man who realized his own utter helplessness and who has put his whole trust in God. I'm trusting him. If a person realizes that their own helplessness has put their whole trust, because of their helplessness, they have put their whole trust, their whole trust in God. Because I'll tell you, there are, very, there are a few things we can fix in life, but not things that matter. Not things that matter long term. Because you see, no one can have anything to do with our own eternal destiny. We need God to take care of that. Not someone else, we need God. And so two things come, and I close with this if you'd like to stand. Two things will come into, into the lives of people who realize their own helplessness and have put their whole trust in God. These two things that come into our lives seem to be opposing things, or at least coming from the opposite sides of the same thing. A person who is completely trusting God will do one thing first. They will come, com, become completely detached from things. Amen. Things just will not matter because they know that things do not possess the power to bring happiness or security. Now we've all had this experience to some degree, varying degrees I'm sure, but there are many times that we have desired something and there's nothing wrong with things per se, if kept in context. But how many times have we ever thought, if I could just get this and that was our, that was what we wanted and then you finally get this. And it kind of disheartening that it didn't really bring the satisfaction that you thought it was going to bring. The hope that we thought it was going to bring. And so someone will completely dependent upon the Lord will detach themselves from things because they really understand that's not where it is. And they will become completely attached to God. Now I think one of the things that creates an imbalance many times in the lives of people who are trying to serve the Lord is, is that they, they feel like many times that they're just letting go of things. And if you only let go, you will be imbalanced. And so we need to let go and become detached from this, but we need to attach ourselves to that. Amen. You know, if a child, a smart parent or caretaker of a child had something in their hands that was dangerous for them to have. You wouldn't just walk up and snatch them out of their hands unless they posed imminent danger, but chances are what you would do is take them something else in exchange for that so that they don't burn the barn down, right? <laughs> and so there it is, that, that exchange. And so when we let go of the things of this world and the cares of this world, but we fall in love with that world, and we put our investment there, then they become attached to God because they know that God alone can bring them help and the hope that they truly need. So the man who is poor in spirit is the man 
that realizes things mean nothing and God means everything because that is the only thing that will stand the test of time. I know I've mentioned this several times through the years and I don't mean to sound morbid in saying this, but there's something that happens to you. There's something that happens to a person when you watch someone die. I'm not trying to conjure up bad feelings here for anybody. But I've had the opportunity to be present when several people have drawn their last breath. And you realize at that moment in time the priorities of life. Right then, right there, there's only one thing that matters. One thing. One thing. No matter how many avenues or trails we may have chased through life, whether that life was long, medium, or or short, there's only one thing that really, really matters. And so tonight, I want us to focus on that one thing that matters because that's our hope. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want to let go of this world so I can embrace this world. Amen. I want to I want to make heaven my home. How about you? Amen. Let's worship the Lord in this chorus as we close this service this evening. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.